on a windswept wind stretch of coastline where the rocky shore meets a cold slate gray sea, there once stood a little life-saving station. It was not much to look at. It was just a thatched hut and an old rugged wooden lifeboat. But that didn't matter a whole lot to the dedicated crew who staffed that little place and who would go out day after day in their job. They would pound their way out through the surf in that boat, rowing hard against the strain of the wind and the water to find people who were in trouble, people who had become uh, caught up in the swirling currents that ravaged that particular stretch of coastline and some who had been shipwrecked against the jagged rocks in that part of the world. And they did their job extremely well. They saved a whole lot of people. And in time, the reputation of this little life-saving station began to create something of buzz in the world around. Uh, people began to talk more and more. There were more and more people with stories to tell of, of how they or somebody they knew and loved had been rescued by the folks that worked that station. And so people began to come to catch a glimpse of it, to, to get close to what was going on there. And, and as the spectators gathered around to watch the crews work, sometimes some of them would even leave the crowd and they would run, run up and they would say, how can we be part of this? And they'd be welcomed in and they'd be trained and taught how they could also be part of the life-saving action. More and more, however, the crowds would would just gather and watch. They, they enjoyed the spectacle of it. There was something so exciting about seeing these, these people doing their work. And in time, there was enough energy gathered around the life-saving station that, that contributions began to flow in to support the work. And, and, and enough money came in that the idea got suggested, maybe we should tear down the old life-saving station and build a new one. And so they did that. And this new one was... Oh, it was much more spacious and beautiful and it had nice carpeting and it had wonderful walls and, and heating and cooling systems. It was a marvelous place to, to see. And as time went on, more and more people would come and gather there at the station. They, they'd come to, to, to network. They, they, they'd come to see friends. They'd come to talk about the work of life-saving and how important it was. It, it, it became a community center that attracted a great deal of interest. And yet as time went on and people talked about the work of life-saving, less and less of its actual work got done because as the years went by, fewer and fewer life-saving crews were making their way out into the water anymore. That's not to say they stopped caring about life-saving. No, they, they talked a great deal about it. They, they read a great deal about it. They had classes on the topic of life-saving, and they even gave money to pay for professional life-savers who would go out and do the work. It wasn't that nobody cared. It's just that life-saving wasn't something you just jumped into, if you understand what I'm talking about, with a lot of thought and a lot of preparation. And there were downsides to this life-saving stuff. I mean, when you, when you went out there and you got hold of people that were really in trouble in the water and you brought them back in to the life-saving house, the clubhouse, it would sort of, it was hard on the carpets. And it changed the atmosphere, the congenial atmosphere of, of, of the life-saving club. 
Well, years went by, and, and many other life-saving stations sprang up on that coast. But in time, almost all of them went the same way as that first little life-saving house. And if you travel along the coast today, you can see many, many of those old buildings, some still buzzing with life, some still sadly empty. I say sadly because while things have have come and go and things have changed, the fact remains that people are still drowning in those treacherous waters, only there are just too few people really committed to fishing them out anymore. Now, Now I share this little parable with you today in the hopes of reminding all of us how easy it is for any of us to forget an original mission. And I, and I tell the story to pose a really personal and important question for this community gathered here today. How clearly do we recall how personally are we engaged in How committed, I guess, are you and I to doing this business for which Jesus first founded this station? How committed, really, are we to the original calling for which this particular hut was put here on the corner of 31st and York? I invite you to imagine with me another stretch of coastline. Uh, This one, thankfully, a bit warmer on the turquoise, shore, turquoise shores of a, a sea called Galilee. And just offshore in this particular place, there is floating a boat, and in it two fishermen are working hard at their nets. And suddenly they look up because a voice has floated out to them across the water. Somebody standing out there on the beach is speaking out at them, and they look up their weathered faces squinting against the sun to try and see who it is that's disturbing them in the middle of their work. And they see there the silhouette of the carpenter. The carpenter is the one about whom that John the baptizer had, had harped on and on and on until first Andrew and then Peter had finally gone to see what all of the ruckus was about. And then they stayed. They stayed to listen. They found themselves ensnared by his vision of the life for which they were born. And oh, what a vision this life that the carpenter described was. Jesus told them that the God of this universe was not like the capricious, selfish, angry gods that the Greeks and the Roman stories all talked about. He was nothing like the the pagan gods of the surrounding cultures. He spoke of a God whose passion was for people, whose power was aimed at resourcing and blessing and building up people. God was much more like a father who, who... who ached for the well-being of his kids, who wept at the confusion and the rebellion and the thrashing of his children. Jesus spoke of a love that was so great that it went out in search of even the people who spurned it, who pushed it away. He talked of freedom from chains we can't even see. He spoke of 
of, of creating a new kind of family that would be open to anybody who would admit the need for a family, a real family, and would be welcomed in and the carpenter envisioned for them a, a new colony of people who would ride the tossing tides of life and would draw on board all those people who were tired and heavy laden, who were worn out from treading water in this crazy world alone. At the end of that very first day, Andrew and Peter had walked home. They had silently walked home, slowly, thinking about all that he had said to them, trying to absorb it, take it in. And now many hours later, it, it was Jesus addressing them again, but this time he was not just speaking merely of the dream he had for the world. He was saying, come, join me in it. Help me to make it possible. Be part of the action. Get into my boat. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Come, you. You, come. Move, come this way. Take steps. Follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. And the Bible says, at once, they left their nets and they followed him. I do not know for sure what it was that led Simon, Peter, and Andrew to answer Christ's call so dramatically. I mean, I'm, I really wasn't there inside of their head. I don't know exactly what it was that, that hooked them fully. I've speculated a bit on that this morning. I'm not entirely certain what it was that would lead them to, to, to drop all of their other entanglements and to go out after Jesus and his way to give themselves to this mission of searching for people lost in life's sea. But I think I do understand I think I get at some personal level why many of us never really do commit ourselves to that cause in the way that Peter and Andrew did. And why so many churches eventually lose their central sense of mission. I think I've got something of a grip on that. I think one of the reasons is because we, we forget that people are worth fishing for. I think at the core level, that's one of the first things that happen as we get wrapped up in our own stuff and the pressures of our own lives is we just lose a really compassionate sense of interest in the value, the amazing, irreplaceable value of people around us. All around us are people who, as the great reformer John Calvin once put it, stray and wander in the world as in a great troubled sea, quote-unquote. In our neighborhoods are moms that are just worn to the bone with the pressure of doing what they do. There are men and women who are just sucked dry by their work. You can see their faces as they go through the train. I meet for coffee in train stations several times a week and I just see these folks just trying to pull up the energy again to go back to face the ruthless competition and the slog of, uh, of the day. There are, there are marriages out there 
that, that are dying, just strangers in the same house, walls of anger and resentment built up. There are marriages that are, that are dead already. There are kids who, who, who are growing up believing that their value is actually, their supreme value is actually determined, defined by their skin condition, by their math grades or their athletic gifts. In our workplaces, there are people who are just living for the buck or the thrill of the deal or the, the escape from what's going on in their house. There are, there are all kinds of people that are just, just spending moment by moment waiting for that op- next opportunity to get in the drug, to take in the anesthetizer that can deaden the pain, the, the anxiety with which they daily live. There are people out there with a zillion acquaintances, a, a thousand Facebook friends, and very few intimates, people who really know their soul. They are divorced, they are widowed, there are convalescing people facing a terrifying ocean of uncertainty alone. There are men and women who are smashing against the rocks of loss. They're drowning in sin and in, and in guilt. There are individuals asking, what is life really about? Why am I here? Why should I stay here? Or who have given up even asking the question anymore because they don't believe there's an answer. They don't believe there's anybody persistent enough to even walk alongside of them as they ask the question. As John Calvin says, there are so many who stray and wander in the world as in a great troubled sea. I think we know these people. I think some of us have been those people, maybe in some measure still are these people. I think we know these people. God certainly knows these people. He he knows them by name. He knows their stories. He cares for them. He has not stopped longing and yearning for them. And in declaring his own sense of mission, Jesus makes this so clear. He, he tells us when he's asked why he came. And people say, you know, why have you come from above? You know, what's the purpose? What, what's, the, what's the prime directive, Jesus, that you're here for? And Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have just come to seek and to save people. That's why I'm here. Even if that means shedding blood, even if that means traveling great distances, I I, I am coming to seek and to save these people, to rescue them. And Jesus says to those of us who would follow him, uh, those of us who would actually answer the calling that he's given us to this particular pathway he's chosen for himself. He would say, even if it requires leaving your comfort zone, and it will require leaving your comfort zone, says Jesus. Even if it means disturbing the comfortable predictability of, uh, of the lifeboat house of your life, and it will mean that the predictability will be shaken up if you follow me. Even if it means rubbing up against those who are wet and, and, and dirty. Even if you must cast the net a hundred and, and a thousand times to succeed in rescuing even one single life from the swirl, that one life is worth everything. It will be the fulfillment of your life if you're part of that one rescue operation and can bring that person home to me. Do you live with that sense of mission? Is bringing somebody to saving relationship with Jesus Christ on your bucket list? Is it the top of your list? Do you see the, the, the purpose of this clubhouse as equipping us, preparing us, sending us out 
to reach out, to take hold of, to embrace, to love, to welcome in those who desperately need the life that Jesus offers? Would you do almost anything to see somebody brought into the boat? Sometimes Christians lose sight of the mission. We're not alone. We can just lose a focus on why we were called here. We can forget that people are really worth fishing for. But, but there's another reason we don't always give ourselves, I think, wholeheartedly to that mission. Sometimes I think we aren't, we think we're not qualified to do this kind of outreach. Right? Um, you know, there may be professionals that can do this kind of thing, but, but, but not me. I, I care for people. I do care for people, but I'm no evangelist. I, I'm not a social worker. I can't preach a sermon. I, I, I wouldn't know how to argue theology. I don't know how to counsel somebody else into Christ's arms. That's why I leave outreach to the pros. Right? That's what so many of us often feel. But, but notice what Jesus did not say in his conversation with Andrew and Peter, okay? Notice what he did not say. He did not say, come follow, come follow me and I will make you preachers for men. He could have said that. Jesus didn't ask them to be candle makers for Christ. Jesus didn't request that they become jewelers for Jesus or marketers for the Messiah. Jesus could have chosen all kinds of ways of describing the calling he was giving to them. Those are all viable ways of describing somebody whose life is dedicated to sharing the good news with other people. But Jesus didn't put his invitation like that. He simply took stock of the capabilities they already had. And he said, come use those. (laughs) Come use those abilities you already have. But, But make their focus... Helping me reach people. Andrew and Peter had patience. They had perseverance. They had the timing of fishermen, right? These are things that Jesus asked now to be employed in his service. What do you have? What what, what are the gifts you have right now without any further training? What are the qualifications he's already given you? Are you a conversationalist? Are you one of those people that just can move around a cocktail party and connect with people? Is that one of the gifts that you have? Try sharing with a friend or a colleague or somebody at the next party how God has changed your life. Don't preach at them. Just talk about how, you know, my life is just, i got to share with you just in my amazement at how my life has been changed in this way or in that way or our family's life is different because of God's touch on us. I just am blown away by that. Are you, are you a hospitality person? You one of those people with the gift of making other people feel comfortable? Then invite somebody to come into ch- to the church building with you because you're, you're one of the safe ones. Uh, go ahead and just extend that invitation to somebody. Introduce yourself to uh, a worship visitor. Uh, make sure before you leave here this morning, you, you, you learn the name and a little bit of the story of a couple of the other people that are here. Um, 
because there are always folks here very, for the very first time. Uh, just reach out to people. Host a dinner in your neighborhood for, um, for some folks you know that don't have a regular church home. Invite a couple of, of your uh, brothers and sisters from the church family uh, or Christians from another church and uh, have them around the table as, as part of the salt and the seasoning of that. Uh, are you maybe a natural organizer? You're one of those people, you could administrate and organize stuff in your sleep. In fact, you do. You dream about projects you're going to organize and fix. Use those gifts in Jesus' missional direction. Uh, There are a myriad of entrepreneurial ministries needed in the life of our church family. Come and talk to to, to the staff of the church, and and we want to know your name because we're hungry for leadership. In a, in a whole bunch of different zones. Maybe you're a nurturer, okay? You, you know, you're not a flash, flashy person. You're just a lover of people. You just, you just have a heartbeat for individuals. Every single week, we've got hundreds, I mean hundreds, of children and youth that need to be walking alongside nurturers. You know, people that are just for them, in Jesus' name, can do some simple instruction and teaching. Are you qualified in some vocation? Uh, you've got some particular skills. Then be a lawyer for Christ. Be an, an, an accountant for Jesus. Be, be a doctor for, for, for the kingdom. Be a business person for God. Be a parent of children in the name of Jesus. Come, says Jesus. You just come and dedicate the gifts that you already have to helping me reach people. That's the invitation. There are a lot of reasons why churches and individual believers can forget the original purpose. Sometimes they, they just stop remembering how, how worth it people are, how worth fishing for them it, it is. Sometimes they miss the fact that God has already given them at least enough of what they need to be a very meaningful part of the mission. And, and sometimes the problem is that we just feel too exhausted in the face of the call to reach out. Uh, Sometimes we just feel like we don't have the strength, we don't have the charisma, we don't have the energy, we don't have the internal resource for God to really do anything very significantly through us. We just don't have the power, in a sense, to bring others to Christ. Some of you may remember the tale I once told of a of a fishing guide up in the St. Lawrence Seaway who was inspiring all kinds of jealousy in the other guides in that part of, the, of upstate New York and convinced there was something just fishy going on about this particular guide. Let me explain why. She would go out, no matter how bad the fishing happened to be for everybody else in this particular day or week or season, no matter how bad it got, Harriet would always come back with a, with a whole net full of fish and, uh, and a, a hamper full of fish and uh, very happy customers. And, and convinced that this, just, this was statistically improbable. Uh, the, the other guides were convinced she was doing something dirty or underhanded, and so they convinced the local fishing commissioner to pose as a, an inexperienced fisherman, angler, and to, to hire Harriet Services, which he... he bought into and ultimately did. And so on the appointed day, Harriet and this disguised commissioner, they go out uh, to fish. Well, hours go by. I mean, just hours. 
of monotony go by with like hardly a nibble at all. And, uh, you know, now it's, now it's way past good fishing hours and, and nothing has gone on. And frankly, Harriet's done nothing inappropriate. And so the commissioner basically says, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's call it a day. So Harriet looks at him and she takes this long drag off for cigarette and shakes her head and she reaches down underneath her seat and she pulls out a stick of dynamite and she lights the fuse and she tosses the stick overboard. And there's this whoosh of water and all of these fish, stunned fish, come floating up to the surface. Harriet picks up a net, starts scooping them up, dropping them into the hamper. And then she reaches for another stick of dynamite. The commissioner just goes ballistic, you know. And he, and he, and, and, and he uh, she, she takes the, she takes the stick, she puts it in his hand, and he goes really ballistic, and he pulls out his badge, and he's about to arrest her when Harriet takes another drag from the cigarette and leans over and lights the fuse on the stick in his hand. And the commissioner is just undone. And she says, well, friend, are we going to talk all day, or are we going to do some fishing? And I think that's the question that needs to hit us every time we come here. Okay? We're just going to keep talking? Or are we going to do some fishing? Are we going to engage ourselves? Because the news here is there is a power at work in the gospel message and in the heart of people willing to share it. I'm sure that if we have a heart for drowning people like Jesus has, if we will dedicate ourselves to using our natural capacities, qualifications to reach somebody in need, God will supply the power. He has done this for generations of believers. It's one of the clearest promises that Jesus ever made. In fact, it's the last promise Jesus ever made. The last things that came out of his mouth before he left planet Earth was this promise. He says, you will be given power to become my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the word for power there is the word dunamis, from which we get what word? Dynamite. That's right. Jesus promises that when the Holy Spirit blows through the life of somebody on a mission for God, then he is going to create a boom whoosh of ripples that are going to change this world. And if you have any doubt about the validity of that promise, consider this. Some 2,000 years ago, a pair of ordinary guys named Peter and Andrew listened to the invitation of Jesus to use their qualifications in a different direction, in a whole new way. 2,000 years later, you and I bubbled up to the surface, washed up on these shores, because they answered the call. My closing question is, who will be here next week because we answered the call? Please pray with me.
Lord, we thank you for the call. We thank you for inviting us into this amazing work. So give us a heart like yours for people who need you. Give us the courage to employ all of the qualifications that you've already given us in service to your outreaching love. Pour out upon us your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we might have the joy of seeing precious people find a safe place in the lifeboat which is faith in Jesus and life in his family. In his powerful name we pray. And God's people said,